Okay, welcome to Wednesday night Bible study, the book of Ezekiel, uh, part 5. Let's begin in prayer. Again, Father, we thank you for this evening bringing us together. We thank you for those that are here, those that are on their way, Lord, those that are hearing the podcast. We thank you that uh, by your Spirit you impart wisdom, knowledge, knowledge, and application to us, Lord, in all of this. So, Father, we just thank you for it. Lord, and we just thank you uh, that you provoke us to thought, response, comment, whatever is needed tonight as we uh, go through this particular passage, Lord. So, Father, we just give you uh, praise, we give you honor, and we certainly give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to move up to chapter 33 in Ezekiel, but I wanted to show you this. It's on the, it's on the back page of your, uh, your outline. But I think I've referenced it a couple times. But if you want to read your Bible like a novel, in other words, without the story being broken up, you read it this way. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, then Ezra and Nehemiah. That's the whole story of the Old Testament. All the other books are written during this time period, but this is a historical way to read it. So where we're at right now is a 70-year exile. So if you wanted to read what happens after, you know, what's, what's being prophesied here, it's Ezra and Nehemiah, and that's when they're returning to the land. So um, then if you read the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, synoptic, it means they tell the same story here, whereas John is more topical. He's not telling you a story from A to Z. He's telling you, I'm going to tell you about this, I'm going to tell you about that, I'm going to tell you about this. Kind of Jewish way of, of doing things. Then you read the Acts of the Apostles, because all the epistles are written during the Acts of the Apostles. So, when you read it this way, if you wanted to like take the summer and start reading Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, through that, Ezra and Nehemiah, and then go into one of the Gospels, and then go through Acts, then you get the whole story of the Bible like a novel, without any interruption. Okay, Because the Bible's not put together chronologically. It's, 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 it's put together by theme, it's put together by, uh, 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 here's the law, here's the writings, here's the prophets. And so that's why sometimes when you're, you're reading, and you... You're reading Genesis, and you read Exodus, and then all of a sudden you get to uh, uh, Leviticus, and you're like, well, wait, what's Leviticus all about? Well, it's about the law of the priest. It's about what happens right in here during Exodus time. And then you read Numbers, and then you read Deuteronomy. And then when you're reading Deuteronomy, you're going, wait a minute, this sounds familiar, because Deuteronomy repeats the stuff that's in Exodus and Numbers. Same way First and Second Chronicles repeats the stuff that's in first second first and second kings all through there. And then Ruth and Esther and the other books are all put in there. But this is just a way to read it historically. So where we are in your Bible, seventy year exile, right after Second Kings, they're taken off the land and right before Ezra and Nehemiah. That's when they return to the land. And between Nehemiah and Matthew it's about 450 years. So another thing, when you read the Bible, it's not one day to the next to the next to the next. For example, 
when you go from Genesis, Genesis ends, and then where Exodus starts is about 430 years. So a lot of times you don't realize you have those gaps in there. And then even sometimes when you're reading a particular book, you don't realize from one chapter to the next, there's a period of time that have, has gone by. So, but anyway, that's just the way to get it historically, if you want to do that. So, part four. What we're going to be talking about now in the next two weeks, two more weeks and we'll be done with uh, Ezekiel, is the restoration of Israel. What's happened, we started Ezekiel, we get where God gives a vision of who he is and all this language, you know, and then he calls uh, Ezekiel uh, to the ministry and then he gives him a series of visions saying, this is what I want you to say and it's not necessarily all these things he's going to be saying to them. He's giving him visions of what he's going to say. You know, in other words, he's, he's, he's showing him things. And he says, and, and when that day comes and I will tell you, and then you will speak, thus saith the Lord. So that's why sometimes when we read it, we think, what, are, this is a little crazy. What are all these visions? What are all this? It doesn't make sense. But he's getting visions from God. And he's now trying to explain those visions. Uh, in in language that that is somewhat limited for us today, because you know he can't put it in in modern terms because he doesn't know uh, all the things that we know. He can't use that kind of language. So he's basically been talking about for thirty two chapters about judgment. You know, judgment on the nation of Israel because they didn't obey God. They were taken off the land because they didn't obey God. Uh, and then last week we were talking about the judgment to the, to, the, to the countries that are around Israel because they mistreated Israel and they were going to, judgment is being pronounced on them and then also on Egypt and uh, uh, a couple other uh, 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 nations around there. So it's basically a book of judgment. I mean, he's, he's judging and he's saying, I want you to judge during your 22-year ministry, you're going to be judging these people. You're going to be prophesying to them uh, according to their sins. Okay? So in chapter 33, well, I'm going to pick this up. And I realize now we're getting into the section about where he's talking about, okay, there's judgment is going to come. I'm going to prophesy against these nations. But now I'm going to be talking about I'm going to restore Israel back to the land. And so what we have to decipher tonight is, is he talking about next week, back then? Is he talking about 100 years from then? Is he talking about now? Or is he talking even future tense yet? So there's some clues in here, some things we're going to kind of walk through. It. Chapter 33, I'm not going to read it, but he says, I've appointed you as a watchman over the city, over Jerusalem. And what, what a watchman means back in those days is you would sit on the high tower and you had a couple of, a couple of uh, responsibilities. One was to make sure no enemy was approaching the city. The other was when you were sitting up high on a tower, you could see possibly in the distance uh, other cities and sometimes they would send signals. So you could get a signal from another city. And so the watchman was up there. But basically what a watchman means is you're waiting for a signal. So in other words, what he's saying to, to Ezekiel is, you're a watchman, wait for my signal, wait for what I tell you to say, for what's coming. 
That's what that means by he says, I've appointed you as a watchman. You know, you are going to say to them, this is what's coming, this is what's going to happen. And I'm going to move through you, Ezekiel. Make sense? Good? Okay. So now, verse, chapter 34. Be reading verses 1 to 10. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened, the diseased you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. And they were scattered for a lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill, and my flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field, For lack of a shepherd, and my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I shall demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves any more, but I shall deliver my flock from their mouth, that they may not be food for them. Who are the shepherds? Leaders. Huh? Teachers of the law. Teachers of the law, the leaders, the priests. Uh, uh, Yeah, those are the shepherds. Now, this is a pretty scathing attack. This is pretty tough. Right? Words here. And uh, uh, this is, you know, to the spiritual leaders of Israel. Now, how does this relate to us today? Uh, probably certain certain aspects of government, uh, certain aspects of institutions that are looking out for themselves as opposed to the ones that they need to serve. Yeah, there's that, and then there's also the element of spiritually, what is God doing within the church is the church becoming more worldly or is it becoming stay more spiritual is it is the church feeding the flock no. or are they feeding no. themselves <clears throat> it's a scathing deal here uh, um, you know what he's saying and is this as we read this is he talking about <clears throat> just back then at that time or is he talking about a future time? 
Is there any evidence? Both. Huh? Both. Both. He says, you know, tell them, he's going to physically tell those first shepherds, the ones that are in in exile, those ones that are are, are, uh, are, um, It doesn't matter. During during the seventy year exile, he says, "Say to those shepherds who are no longer uh, ministering in the temple because they're taken off the the land." You know, you know. See, Israel is supposed to be a religious state. You know, it's not it's not supposed to be a secular state. It's supposed to be a religious state, and uh, but it, it should have a form of government. And when that form of government is not following, you know, what God wants, then it goes off into other things. But he says here, uh, verse 5, 34-5, he says, And they were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field, and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill, and my flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search for them. Now here it's not just they're scattered to Babylon. Here it's they're all over the earth. So us, knowing the history of the Jewish people, what has happened to the Jewish people since 70 AD? They've been scattered all over the earth. You know, but he says, but I'm going to call them back. Okay, so... We've got two things going on here. And next week when we get into the Valley of the Dry Bones and all this stuff, and it's gonna, there's going to be some end-time events in all of this, uh, you have to look at it. He's saying one thing to them now, but he's also saying to them uh, about uh, you know what is going to be coming and what is future tense. It's not any different in a sense than when you evangelize or when you preach the gospel. What are you saying to someone? You're, you're getting someone to look at where you're at now, right? But you're also getting to look at them, where are you going to be? Right? So the gospel is not just about today. The gospel is also about your future, right? Because it's, it's like, you know, you know, where are you going when you die? Where, where are you headed? What's, what's going to happen then? You know, and so... You know, the, the, the language here, you have to follow the language that it's, you know, scattered all over the earth. And that's what happened. You know, for 2,000 years, they did not have a country. They, did, they didn't have. They wandered all over. You know, uh, you heard of the Spanish Inquisition? 1792, Columbus sailed the blue. Well, it's the same year the Spanish Inquisition was going on. And that's where they were. There were a lot of Jews uh, had, were, were living and the church there decided they were going to convert these Jews who did not want to be converted, and so they tortured them. And the idea was better that they die confessing Christ than to die and not confess Christ. Lousy theology, but that was their way of doing that, you know. So the Spanish Inquisition, you know, was it was all about that. Uh, they've been persecuted. They've been scattered, you know, all over. And it's, you know, relatively in our generation, in our time frame, 1948, they became a nation again. And so God said, so, so if you were reading this uh, 50, 
know, 75 years ago, you would say, okay, well, they're not on the land yet. They're still being, they're still wandering. But in 1948, they came back and they established the nation again. And so now what that does is now it triggers and figures into what he's saying here. Is this that when God is now calling the remnant back to the land? And is what he's saying, what he's prophesying to them, is it going to happen then? Or is it still future tense? Or, you know, we don't know how long this period is going to be. Because again, when you look at things biblically, um, biblically things go for several hundred years. Things things generally do, do not transpire in one generation. It generally goes a long, a long time. You know, but having said that, we don't know a uh, time frame on all of this. So, he's saying, you know, to your spiritual leaders, you know, uh, you, know you, you were out for yourself. You weren't feeding the flock. You weren't protecting them. You weren't watching over them. You weren't doing these things. And as a result, notice, as a result, because they were not spiritually fed, they were scattered. And why were they scattered? Because they didn't follow what God said, who was responsible for showing them and telling them this is what God says. So in other words, New Testament, we're called to get people saved, right? But we're also called to make disciples. He doesn't say just get them saved. He says make disciples because a disciple will stick with it where someone that just gets saved and doesn't know what... what going on will can, can be tossed anywhere but if you're rooted and grounded in your faith now it's a different story right so you know you have to look at it in in those terms in, in big picture terms thoughts questions comments rocks tomatoes mm. Mm. so you know he's 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 Shepherds, you know, those that are leading the flock, you got to be careful with what is going on because there is uh, judgment there. And this, is, this isn't the only place he says it. He says it in a lot of other places to the shepherds. Uh, because again, if, if you have a priesthood and that priesthood is responsible for keeping the people uh, on point with God and they don't do it, uh, who's responsible? You know, those shepherds. First and foremost, especially back in that day, we we don't have the excuse that they could use back in that day. It was well, well, I didn't have scripture for myself. I didn't know. I was totally dependent on what they said. But now we all can have scripture. We all can read scripture. We can all get commentaries. We can all get. We can all find out deeper into into all of that. So. Uh, so then he's going to he's going to trans he's going to move now into the true shepherd. Any thoughts or questions or comments for you? Yeah. Is this also referring in the future? Yeah. To the to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Sure. Yeah, because again, uh, especially Pharisees, Pharisees were very devout. They were all about Scripture. They were all about the integrity of Scripture and making sure it was being taught right. And by the time, you know, 300 years later when Jesus shows up, they're just a political outfit. They're not, they're not about that anymore. You know, and so it's all about them. 
Because remember, they're the ones that wanted to be seen giving money. They wanted to be seen on the street corners, and their you know their their garments were different, and they want oh, there's a Pharisee, like you know, somebody special, you know. And so you you see that in Christianity today. Yeah, it relates today. It relates today. So that's why you know you you spiritual leaders have to be humble members of the flock as well because you're you're not above the flock. Mm-hmm. The only one that's above the flock is Christ. Mm-hmm. Everybody else we're everybody else's level. We just have different roles that we play in the big picture. So, verse 11. Now this one this one gets interesting. I'm going to go to about verse 24. It says, For thus says the Lord God. Now this is what God is saying. Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Who's going to seek them out? God. He says, I myself. Okay, we can stop right there. And you can interject Christ into this. Right? Okay. Verse 12. As a shepherd cares for his herd. By the way, Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep. So I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. Notice, the countries, not just Babylon. See, he doesn't say, I'm going to bring them back just from Babylon. He says to the countries, wherever they've been scattered. And bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture. And their gazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There... They will lie down in good grazing ground, and they will feed in rich pasture on the mountain of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. Hello, this is New Testament. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, strengthen the sick, but the fat and the strong I will destroy, and I will feed them with judgment. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will judge between one sheep and another, between the rams and the male goats. It is too, is it too slight a thing for you that you should feed in the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet and rest, feed the rest of the, your pastures, or that you should drink of the clear waters that you must Follow the rest of your feet. As for my flock, they must eat what you tread down with your feet, and they must drink what you foul with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I even I will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Again, he's referring to the shepherds that he just talked to. Remember, they got fat doing their own thing. You know, this is just talking about, you know, feeding themselves, not feeding the flock. Verse 21, because you push with with side and with shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns until you have scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will deliver my flock and I and there will no longer be, they will no longer be a prey and I will judge between one sheep and another. 
Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them, he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Okay. What? Was this after David or before David? That's the question. That's why I put a question mark there. Oh, I didn't see that. This is 400 years after David. They're speaking of David as a king, and king, Jesus is the king. He's talking about priesthood. He's talking about the kingship. And, you know, Scripture talks about, you know, Jesus sits on the throne of servant David. The point of it being that David was the first true king of Israel. And that the Messiah had to be in the lineage of David because he was going to sit on that throne. That's why when you read Luke and you read Matthew, it goes into all the genealogy, taking his mother all the way back, and even Joseph, who was not his birth father, all the way back. They were both from the house of David. Uh, so, would you say something else? No, I'm no. Just, okay. So, David's been off the scene for 400 years, but he says you know, David, in a sense, will sit on the throne. It's Again, you, we're, we're talking about visions. We're talking about what it means that David is the, is the true first true king of Israel. And so he says that, that I'm going to restore, and then the true king is going to be there. The true king is going to show up, and the true king is Jesus. Jesus. And because don't forget, he says, you know, behold, I myself will search for the sheep. This is Christ. God in Christ, I myself will search for the sheep. What does he do? I am the good shepherd. What does he do? He calls people to him, not just in the first century, but until the end of the age, right? 2,100 years later, he's still calling people to him. He's still seeking them. So, so that's the importance of the gift of the Holy Spirit because as we preach the gospel, it is the Holy Spirit that convicts them of their sin and causes them to confess Christ as Savior. We are the messengers. But David, like Moses and other Old Testament figures, is a type and a shadow. In other words, it's, it's a shadow. This is the real deal, but if you're just looking at the shadow, you can say, okay, it's a hand, but then when the real hand shows up, you say, okay, it was referring to this, right? So David, in a sense, if this is the Old Testament, uh, he's, he's a type in shadow. So, now, if David and Mo- Moses is is the Redeemer, right? He redeemed the people, and Jesus is our Redeemer. So he was a type and shadow of a Redeemer. If this is the Old Testament, and there's a shadow on the Old Testament, in other words, you're not seeing the real thing, but you're seeing a type and shadow, what's causing the shadow? Because Scripture talks about it. Something has to cause the shadow. If 
Hebrews 10, you don't have to turn to it, you can just write it down. Hebrews 10, chapter 1. For the law, meaning the Old Testament, since it was only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never be the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually and make those draw near. And it goes on to talk about that Christ is our, our sacrifice. So he says the law is a shadow. What's causing the shadow? The law. Good. Hmm? The law. Good? No, the law is a shadow. Oh, God, God's causing the shadow. Huh? God's causing the shadow. God is causing the shadow. How? By the word. Well, the law is the word. By his illumination? <clears throat> the glory. Well, okay. You, if if okay. to have a shadow, you have to have illumination, and you have to have something light. Light. <laughs> that's, 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 that's causing the shadow. Jesus. The light is going to... What causes the shadow? Come on. <laughs> Colossians chapter 2. Oh, Colossians chapter 2. Verse 17. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So what's causing the shadow? Christ. Yeah, I know you said that. Okay. Now, where's the light coming from? If you have a shadow, you have to have light. The sun. See, this is this is this is this is theology. This is this is how you break it down. This is how you what's causing what's, if there's a shadow, you have to have something's causing the shadow. But if you have a shadow, something has to cause cause the, the uh, effect. But that's God, right? Because huh? he's already ordained everything into being. So well, where's God? The future. If he's in the future. Okay, so here we go. So, God in the future, is, which is the light, right? Is focused on the cross. He's pointing everything towards the cross. So, therefore, the shadow is caused by God who's calling us into our future. Right? So you're saying that Jesus is the so the Jesus is the object that causes the shadow. Yeah. But Jesus also says I am the light. He is the light. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because he, he is God. God. Mm-hmm. Because he is God. Mm-hmm. But so the, so again, you know, mm-hmm. now in terms of Trinity, uh-huh. he is mm-hmm. the light as well. So not only is he here, but he's also here, but because he is the word, he's also the shadow. Yeah. And this is what Ezekiel's talking about as God speaks it to him, thus say the Lord. Yes. He's talking in the Trinity sense. And he's speaking over here through the cross that Ezekiel hasn't even seen yet. Mm-hmm. So that's why when you get these visions and things, and so it's, a, it's a little hard to wrap your mind around it. Think about the struggle Ezekiel had. Because see, we're looking at it after the cross. We, we've got the cross. Because we're over here, New Testament side of the of the cross. Those guys didn't have that, and so you know, so he's spending all this time with this one guy Ezekiel saying, "Here's the visions. This is who I am." And you know, trying to explain to him what the light is. Mm. You know, he talking. You said about Trinity and all that. You know, he's trying to show him. You know, like when we read the first chapter, 
and it's like wheels with it and a wheel and eyes all around and it, and it moves and it, and it lifts and it goes all in one direction at the same time and you, you get this picture of, of knowing and seeing and moving and everything at once, you know, the way God does things. And so, uh, yeah, so this is what he's talking about, that the substance, I think Diego said, the substance is Christ and that's what causes the shadow. And so from let there be light, because we always think about let there be light way over here. But when he said let there be light, there was also light over here. Because he's Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Not the cross in itself, it's Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross, yeah, not the cross. Salvation. Thank you. Yes, salvation. Thank you. In other words, it's, it's salvation. Because what is the Old Testament pointing to? Salvation. See, people people don't realize there's really one message in the Bible. We're sinners. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot work our way back to God. But God so loved us, he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for us. And if we're willing to confess our sins, repent of those sins... Confess, believe that, the result is salvation. That's the story of the Bible. But he takes, uses history and uses the Jewish people and uses all of this, this narrative to give us this expanded picture of who he is and what he's doing and how he's doing that. So when he says, see, if, if you've never read those two scriptures in in, in uh, uh, uh in the New Testament about the shadow, then when he's talking about the shadow over here, you, what are you talking about? I don't get it. Because sometimes we look at the shadow and we think of the shadow. Well, that's cold, that's dark, that's... Not. No, there's a light that's causing something to reflect on that. And so, again, if the Old Testament is a shadow of things which are to come, then it's showing us what is to come. That's why he says... He goes through the whole thing of showing about creation, about about uh, uh, the establishment of, of, of people and nations, about the establishment of government and the moral laws, the social laws, governing laws, all of these things. And then he brings in uh, 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 people are lost, they're abandoned. He brings in the, the, the motif of, of redemption, Moses. Then, you know, he brings a story in, but I have a place for you, prepared for you. A land, you know, flowing with milk and honey. Well, what is heaven? Jesus says, I go because better that I go because I prepare a place. place for you. So, type and shadow, right? And so the promised land in the Old Testament is a type and shadow of, of, of heaven. That's why the New Testament refers to it as New Jerusalem. We'll get to that maybe next week. Um, and Revelation refers to it as New, New Jerusalem. And so God's building this thing. And so if you don't follow the narrative, you don't follow the story, if you don't follow it theologically, uh, you miss it. Because if we just look at it as a narrative story, and if we don't look at, okay, what is God doing? See, anytime you read scripture, you have to ask the question, what is God doing? Because he chose to give us his word. So if he chose to give us his word, then it's extremely important that that we know that he's doing something, and 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 you know because again he says in the New Testament we now are no longer in mystery, and the reason we are no longer in mystery because the cross has come. Mm-hmm. 
when Jesus resurrected and see the right hand of the Father. So now we explain the mystery. Right? So, thoughts, questions? So, you know, and Jesus says, you know, he sits on the throne of David. That's just showing that David is a type in a shadow of what is to come. And when Christ comes, this is our true king. Because what did they say on the triumphant entry into Jerusalem? Hosanna and the highest. And they were bowing down to him as king. That's why they put him on a donkey. Because that's what kings rode. They rode donkeys. They didn't ride horses. That was a military weapon. They didn't ride a they didn't ride an ox. That was for carts. You put kings on donkeys. Then they took their garments off, they laid them down, and then they laid them on top of the donkey, and it was a commandment to wear that outer garment because it signified that you were you were following God. And so he's riding in a sense on the word of God, and then the, the palms the palms are those old pictures of kings are sitting on the throne and the, the ceremony of the palms and the, you know you know that that, that that whole thing and so here's a hosanna in the highest you know god save now christ our king and this is why it gets missed that you know they call it the triumphant entry into jerusalem but in fact it's not because he goes in the common person that was there hails him but what does he do once he enters Jerusalem? What does he do after he's, he's done riding a horse? He goes into the temple. And the temple is empty. Where were the shepherds? Where were the priests? They could have proclaimed him king of kings, lord of lords. And it says he goes into an empty temple, looks around, and he leaves. And the next day he he does the only destructive miracle in the Bible. He curses the fig tree because it's a representation of the nation of Israel. When is it when he gets pretty upset when they're having the and then he, he And then the same day he overturns the money, changes tables. Yeah, loses his temper there. Yeah, so you understand it in terms of there was an empty temple. Those that were should have been there to embrace him were not there. Those are the shepherds that he's condemning here. Right? So you could say, you know, first part of chapter 34, he's condemning those shepherds that caused them to be in exile, but he's also condemning the shepherds during the time of Christ. And then you can also say he's condemning the shepherds today and tomorrow that aren't feeding the flock, that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Spiritual leaders, you know. So. Thoughts, questions? Verse 25. And I will make a covenant of peace. We know what's coming, right? And you know, Jeremiah, which is already there. Jeremiah who ministered right before Ezekiel, is the one who tells us about the new covenant. I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. You know, these are metaphors for you won't be in danger. And it's metaphors based on what they would know, right? 
we, you know, nowadays, you know, you can drive from L.A. all the way to Mexico, and it's in city all the way. There's no empty spaces, you know, really. You know, but in those days, you know, once you left the town, it was like driving through Texas. <laughs> it's a long time before you get to another town, and it's dangerous out there. And so that's what he uses that metaphor for them. It says, uh, 26, And I will make them and the places around my hill, which is Jerusalem, a blessing, and I will cause showers to come down on their season, and they will be showers of blessing. Also the tree of the field will yield its fruit, the earth will yield its increase, and they will be secure in their land. Then they will know that I am the Lord, and when I have broken the bars of their yoke, and have delivered them from the hand of those who have enslaved them. Now they Jewish people have been enslaved a long time, right? Mm-hmm. But so have sinners. We're enslaved by our sin, right? Uh, 28, And they will no longer be prey to the nations, and the beast of the earth will not devour them, and they will live securely, and no one will make them afraid. And I will establish for them a renowned planting place, and they will not again be victims of famine and land, and will not endure the insults of the nations anymore. And they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord. As for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, you are men, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. So there's a lot in there. Time frame, he could be talking partially about when they return here, but when they return here, they're not totally in control of their... Their, their destiny anymore. They're kind of hobbling back. They're not a strong nation anymore. It takes them a, a while. And then Rome comes in. Well, b- before that, uh, 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 who's the guy that rode the elephants? Hannibal. Hannibal. Was it Hannibal? Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great comes in. He conquers that land. And so now they live under him. And then Rome comes in right after him. Takes take that empire out, and now it's the Roman Empire. And so, when Christ is born, he's born into Israel, which is lives under Roman rule, and they're subservient to Roman rule, and had been for more than 150 years. And so, uh, th- this is not, you know, being in charge of your own destiny. This is why. When Jesus came, you know, a good portion of those people, they wanted that conquering king who was going to conquer Rome. They wanted that flow of milk and honey. They wanted everything to be good. They didn't want the suffering servant. But you see, when he comes a second time, he comes as what? Conquering king. Right? He rises and comes and ends the wars. And we'll get in a little bit of that next week with the, with the dry bones and all that stuff. Um, then you could say, okay, then they were off the land for 2,000 years. And then finally they came back in 48, and they came back to a small section of it, you know, and then in 56, they, the, the war in 56, they gained a little bit more land. They won that, you know, and then uh, and the Six-Day War in 67, that's when they recaptured Jerusalem. Then you could make a case saying, okay, well, maybe this starts... Something because now they have Jerusalem. They don't have all the land yet, but they have Jerusalem. And uh, then in 72, they get the Golan Heights and all this other stuff. And, you know, every time they've been attacked since then, 
they've defeated their enemies uh, all around them, you know, who've been trying to attack them and push them, you know, off the land, and they keep getting victory after victory, and the land produces, like we've been talking about, you know, in abundance. So, you know, part of that, what we read here, is going on today, but how long does that exist? And also, when you get to end time events, and you talk about when Jesus returns, then that's when everything is peaceful, and that's when they're secure, and that's when there's no worry. And so it's, it's you know, it's played out in different things here. So it's not just one time frame. Thoughts, questions? We good? A lot of stuff in Ezekiel. Huh? Uh, chapter 35, I'm not going to read it. It just goes into judgment on Edom, and we talked about that last week. Edom is, you know, uh, people from the land are descendants of Esau. Jacob and Esau. Esau sold his birthright for, for a bowl of soup. And uh, uh, so uh, they uh, uh, they attacked the Israelites um, several different times, and so they were judged for that. So now you get to chapter 36. Chapter 36, I'm not going to read it, verse 1 to 7, is basically judgment on the nations. It's around them, which he said before. He said, prophesy to them, to, you know, to the nations around that I'm doing a work and so that all of the people, you know, will know that I am God. And this is one of the themes of the Bible, theologically. We're thinking theologically. What is the theme of the Bible? God wants the people to know that he's God. And so he uses these people and he interacts with these people in this nation uh, so that the nations around will know that he is God and he is who he says he is. But how does that translate to the church today? It should translate the same way. That God is now working through the church. Right? So that people will not doubt, well, I don't know if there's a God or not. If we're doing what we're supposed to be and doing and we're hitting on all cylinders, people should be saying, man, there's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. But, you know, We've, we're on this roller coaster with, with stuff right now in Christianity, and it's it's uh, uh, you know that's why I say you know there's been times where we've had churches hit rock bottom before, but we've climbed back up and really have done some good things, but then it goes down again. You know, so where are we? Hopefully, we're back on the slide going up. What I want to read is this last little section here, kind of discuss it theologically. I think we can do it in about twelve minutes or so. 15 minutes, but just think theologically. Theologically means what is God doing? What is he saying? Where am I in relationship to what God is doing? So chapter 36, verse 8. This is about Israel returning to the land. But you, O mountains of Israel, will put forth your branches and bear your fruit for my people Israel, for they will soon come. So part of that is they're going to be returning, right? And they're going to bear fruit, but also, as the as the as the, as the church of Jesus Christ, we're called to what? Bear fruit, and we are part of the vine. We are part of the branches. We've been grafted in, right? So part of this is also speaking to the church. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be cultivated and sown, and I will multiply men on you. 
all the house of Israel, all of it, and the cities will be inhabited, and the waste places will be rebuilt. I will multiply on you man and beast, and they will increase and be fruitful, and I will cause you to be inhabited as you were formerly, and will treat you better than at first. Thus know, thus you will know that I am the Lord." You'll be better than you were at first. This is referring to the time of David and Solomon. Because David, when he established the kingdom, there was total peace going on. And then Solomon came. You know, there was wealth, there was riches. You know, the, the country was just growing. It was blossoming. Everything was good. Verse 12. Yes, I will cause men, my people Israel, to walk on you and possess you so that you will become their inheritance and never again bereave them of children. Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you are a devourer of men and have bereaved your nation of children. Therefore, you will no longer devour men and no longer bereave your nation of children, declares the Lord God. And I will not let you hear insults from the nations anymore, nor will you bear disgrace from the peoples any longer, nor will you cause your nation to cause your nation to stumble any longer, declares the Lord. So in other words, he says, when you come back to the land in this ideal setting, he says, you're going to come back and it's going to be peace, but people around you are going to respect you. You know, they're going to know that I am God. They'll know that I'm working through you. You know, you won't be doing the things that you did before. This is now end time stuff. Because if you look at the nation of Israel now, it's a secular state. It's not a religious state. Exactly. It's not. It's not a religious state, and to Raymond's point earlier about you know not following the laws and stuff. You know they're supposed to be a religious state, not a secular state. Okay, uh, verse sixteen. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, "Son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds." Their way before me was like the uncleanliness of a woman in her impurity. Therefore I poured out my wrath on them for the blood which they had shed on the land, because they defiled it with their idols. You know, worshipping other idols, other gods, other things, intermarrying with people uh, that had different religious views. They were not supposed to do that. And it it, it led to them being... uh, uh, not strong spiritually, and it led to them being taken off the land. Verse 19, Also I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the lands according to their ways and their deeds. I judged them. Now you're talking about they were scattered to the nations all over. Again, this is after Christ. They were scattered all over. They were, you know, and uh, uh, let's see. Verse 20, And when they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name, because it was said of them, These are the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of his land. Now notice, think about it. For 2,000 years, they were dealing with, Okay, well, if you are the chosen people, why aren't you on your land? Why will no country accept you? Right? But I had concern for my holy name. Verse 21, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. And this is important. He says, my holy name. He doesn't say, I have concern necessarily for them. Not that he doesn't. But what's his main concern? His holy name, and meaning what he has said and who he is. Right? 
um, 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. He says, you know, you guys messed up. I'm doing this for my holy name. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to correct what is wrong because of who I am. And this goes back to when God says, I am who I am. I will do what I will do. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, the life. You know, nothing, you know, you don't get to, to heaven through anyone but through him. Uh, verse 23. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. Now again, the word holy. We don't know what the word holy means except when it's tied to God because that's the only way the word holy H-O-L-Y is to be used in connection with God God is holy, His Spirit is holy Jesus is holy Toledo is not holy cows are not holy the W, not an H and so the point here is my holy name that God is holy and that word holy is in respect to God alone. There's a holiness and a dignity and a sanctity that is far above what we can ascribe to. And by the way, that's why Jews wear yarmulke or kippah. Because they said man cannot approach God so they put something between themselves and God to remind them they can't approach God. That's what the, that's what the hat's all about. Verse 23. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. This is what started happening in the 1800s when they started going back to Israel. In the, in the Rothschild family was, was bankrolling and they were buying uh, land there that didn't produce and they were coming back from all these different nations. You know, it started back in like 1860-something. You can Google it. You can research it. And so a lot of times today when they say, well, you know, this was our land, Palestinians, and la, la, la. Not only was the land given to them by God, the majority of that land they bought outright from the Ottoman Empire who couldn't do anything with it, so they were glad to sell this land to them. Um, so anyway, so God says, I will gather you back from all these nations. We see this going on in Israel today. 24, I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances and you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers so that you will be my people and I will be your God. I'm going to hold it right there. Is the church anywhere in there? Negative. Huh? Is the church in there? There's a clue. There's a clue in there. I read it fast. Yeah. Now, what separates 
We're thinking theologically. What separates the believer from the non-believer? Besides repentance, besides turning from their ways, what happens to the new creature in Christ? Why must man be born again? What happens when we are born again? We get a new heart when you desire. We get a new heart, and what else do we get? The Spirit. Holy Spirit. He says, "My Spirit will be within you." And the church is now inside of us. Yes. Okay. See, in Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was only on one or two people to do a task and it was only as long as the task was there and once the task ended Holy Spirit was gone. Acts chapter 2, New Testament through Christ Holy Spirit came down, we are now regenerated, rebirthed, the Holy Spirit is where? Indwelling? This is what he's talking about. This future tense. I'm going to bring you back. So when you look at Israel prophetically you look at, okay, well, God is doing all this, and He's going to be bringing them all back, and they're going to do this, and they're going to do that, and and you know, and and, and I will be your king, and I'm going to, you know, restore you, and I'm going to put my spirit in you, and we you know we are, as a church we're grafted into all of this, what God has been doing, you know. See, the church is not. If this is Genesis, and this is what God is doing, and then here's a cross. Jesus comes, right? Now the church age doesn't start over here. The church age continues here. That's why we are grafted into what? He calls it the rich root of the vine. That which came before us. He says don't be arrogant towards the vine. And if you being a wild olive branch can be grafted in... Surely I can graft them who were broken off for their unbelief, I can graft them back in. So, Judaism all the way to the cross is just supposed to continue because it's all one story. Sometimes people think, okay, the church started here, all of this stuff doesn't matter anymore. Well, this is where all the promises, all the blessings are, this is where the root of everything is, and now the church, this is ground zero for the church, and now this is where we we take off. And we're supposed to be the what? The fruit of the vine. Jesus is the vine dresser. The vine. Right? See, there's not two different things. It's one outgrowth. Any more than, and I'll stop with this, any more than the patriarchs who at the end of Genesis were supposed to be in the land of Israel, but because of famine, they they were they were living the good life in Egypt with Joseph. And you could say, okay, well, they were off the land, so now that changes the story. And then all of a sudden, 75 people, 400 and some years later, become two and a half million people, and God now brings them back to where? To the same land that he gave them. He doesn't say, okay, you guys messed up because you're in Egypt and you didn't stay in the land. I'll start with somebody else. No, the story just continues. 
Right? I'll stop right there. Thoughts, questions, comments? Make sense? For us, because you were talking about who's he speaking to. Well, I just, who do I feel sorry for? Because they can't get it at that time. Mm-hmm. He's not speaking because of all the metaphors. He just, Ezekiel's doing his best, but that people at that time cannot understand or comprehend what's going on. So you can't blame them, but us, we, what we just composed in this moment of an hour, you know, we said a lot to make it clear what's going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if we can't accept that, then we're the ones that are in more trouble. It's, it's, it's all here for us. Well, see, once, once you hear it, you have the responsibility to follow it, mm-hmm. to be a part of it, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the danger is when we don't follow. We hear, but we don't follow. And so, uh, uh, no excuses. Yeah. And so, again, you you can't throw away the Old Testament. You can't you can't throw away any of this stuff because it's all it's a shadow. It's projecting. It's showing us what the real deal is. And then now we are here. Now that the real deal has come, we have the Holy Spirit. We have we have all of this that they didn't have. And so, don't have a lot of wiggle room there. So. You know. But anyway, next week I might just kind of wrap up a little bit of that, but then we're going to get into chapter 37, this vision of the dry bones. And all that is, if you want to read ahead, it's just a vision of a nation that has been off the land and they've like been dead and buried. And all of a sudden God says, no, I'm going to raise you back up as a remnant. And those dry bones are going to become flesh and blood again and they're going to return. In other words, it's talking about a spiritual rebirth into the land. It's not talking about real dry bones walking around like in the Sinbad movie or something, you know. So, okay. We good? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for uh, this time, Lord. I just thank you, Holy Spirit, that all of this, Lord, you uh, help us to understand. And, Lord, as we reread, as we contemplate as we meditate the word of God as we uh, draw close to you Lord that you draw close to us Lord that you provoke us again to thought and response and, and even added questions is needed Lord Lord but most importantly Lord that we all follow you that we gain this understanding and insight into the word of God because you gave us your word for a reason that we would know Lord and the more we know the stronger we become the less likely we are to stray away from your word, Lord. And so, Lord, we just call out to those, Lord, right now that may not be serving you the way they used to serve you, Lord. We just speak a word and call them, Lord, back to return, Lord, to the body of Christ, to return to Scripture, to return to prayer, to return to uh, the things of God, Lord. And for those that have never known you or confessed you, Lord, uh, help us, Lord, to uh, reach them with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord, and to make disciples, Lord, for your glory and your honor, we do all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. 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 Praise God.